Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning to all our listeners on a very, very chilly, chilly day. I was just up there and the wind is blowing. Best that you just stay all up and bundled up today. You know, um, my um, domestic quipped, she said, this is Ramaphosa's fault. You know, he wanted lockdown too, doesn't want people to run around, so he raged the very cold weather. Whether that's true or not, um, it is advisable to stay inside and to stay warm and stay safe. And on that note, a very good morning to my co-host, Faggy. How are you, Faggy? Are you warm and bundled up, or are you are roving around in one of your mobile office? <laughs> um, I'm very warm and very bundled up in the sun. It's beautiful. <laughs> Excellent. Watching the wind outside, at least. It is. It's the, 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 the dust and the gust, and the, it, it's actually horrible. Um, yeah. Not so simple for allergy season. Exactly, exactly. Well, today we're going to have quite an exciting uh, discussion on something that I know that you, Faggy, as well as I, we, we both um, enjoy the therapy, and that is called craniosacral therapy. It is an adjunct to living a healthy life, and it does tremendous um, things um, to help you ease chronic pain and a whole lot of issues, and it not only deals with physical issues, it also deals with emotional issues as a sideline. And today we are going to be um, speaking to a lady by the name of Charmaine Barr. Um, Charmaine um, is a physiotherapist and uh, she did a lot of work at the NHS in the UK and then came over to South Africa and through her physiotherapy practice, uh, learned the the discipline of craniosacral and she uses it now to help people overcome um, chronic pain, trauma, uh, headaches, uh, alignment issues, anxiety and concussions. Um, really a, a lady that has got a tremendous amount of skill. And if you'd like to join the conversation, please, we'd love that. You can contact us on 34519 or our Telegram number 0618951019 and uh, ask the questions that you want to ask about craniosacral or if you have a concern and would wonder if this could be something that could help you, please be my guest. Join us around the coffee table. As always, a reminder that both Faggy and I are just ordinary people and we do not dispense medical uh uh, information, you always need to go under the care of a doctor. This is just a program to enlighten you that there are other disciplines out there that can help you live a more healthier life. And on that note, we run a um, WhatsApp group where every day we just drop a, a enlightening thought, some information, um, some inspiration. And if you'd like to join that, you can send an SMS, I'm mean, sorry, an, an email to info at highfm.com, uh, give us your name and your number, and we will gladly join you, and you can uh, be part of the group. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back, and a very good morning to Charmaine. How are you today? 
Hi, Adel. Very well. Thank you. And lovely to be with you this morning. And thank you. Hi, Peggy. (laughs) Nice to hear you again. (laughs) Welcome to our show and thank you so much again for joining. My pleasure. I think, Charmaine, the best place to kick off is to actually understand what craniosacral work is all about. People hear it, you know, um, in conversation when, when, you're, when, when you're talking and I go do some cranio. We use it like, in, you know, the short term. Can you explain to us what is craniosacral therapy and how did you come to using this as an adjunct to your physiotherapy practice? Yes, thank you, Adel. Very good question. Um, in a nutshell, a, a craniosacral therapy is a very gentle, non-invasive treatment of the central and peripheral nervous system. So the name itself gives you an idea. So cranium, obviously the skull, and sacrum is where the spinal cord attaches. Um, so this is a treatment that literally moves the cerebrospinal fluid, which as we know is produced in the brain, and surrounds the brain and cushions the brain and acts as a shock absorber. And that fluid also contains um, very important, it, it contains our neurotransmitters and our hormones and our peptides and determines the state of the body. So what we do is we tune into this treatment, It's a, uh, sorry, into the system, and it's very similar if you can imagine your blood, you know, your pulse rate. Mm-hmm. which one actually feels. So we are trained to to access this fluid and and to actually feel where are there restrictions in the system, what is happening. So you can imagine, you know, just in day-to-day life, um, um, you know, we fall, accidents happen, and more importantly, things like um, your birth traumas, blows to the head, concussions, um, all of this can disrupt that very sensitive um, system and specifically falls on your coccyx, you know, which happens all the time. So that can cause a pattern of, um, of malalignment and we then access that and we tune into it and we basically try and get the flow going again. Um, I'm, I'm zooming in on the coccyx. It's such an interesting thing because um, I do go to practitioners that, that use craniosacral, and I always find that when they are trying to release tension in my neck and the top of my shoulders, I suddenly get pain in my coccyx, and then they go down to my coccyx, and they work there, and it like shifts up, and up again. Is that because there is that pathway, like it's just going up and down the spine? Absolutely, absolutely, Adel. And, you know, it's such a, you know, in my work as a physiotherapist as well, I think the coccyx and the sacrum is is an area that we don't spend enough attention. You know, we just don't give it the attention it deserves. And um, it's just so important, um, you know, if you imagine that whole area, especially for women, you know, there's a lot of fascia in that area. We we yes. carry We carry babies, we give birth, we... You know, there's all kinds of things happening in that area. So any kind of disruption, even car accidents, I'm just thinking, you know, especially the driver, when you brake suddenly or impacts, yes. all affect that very sensitive area, and you've got all those nerves there as well. One of the things that always... isn't treated, 
sorry, Adel. If, if something like this isn't treated, would it be that someone would then walk around with chronic pain constantly? So, for instance, like I've come to you, I had an injury when I was sick, so my coccyx. If I didn't deal with that constantly, would then I deal with lower back pain, upper back pain, um, you know, chronic yeah. pain, basically? Faggy, very good question. Now, the problem with this area is that it doesn't always present in pain at the actual, the joint there is called the sacroiliac joint, the SIJ. I'm sure you've heard of that being yes. banded around as well. Um, and the problem is that if you have an alignment issue there, you might not present with pain there. You could present, for example, with chronic plantar fasciitis. You could have chronic headaches because if that alignment is, wow. is out, you then have almost like a knock-on effect like dominoes where the spine then rotates. And then at the top of the spine where, you know, where it's meant to drain, um, at the occipital bone, you're then going to have almost like a, like an impaction, like a drainage problem. And those are people that, you know, that have headaches and they go for treatment and they try everything and, and literally it becomes chronic and the problem is not even in the neck or in the head. So, um, another very common one is middle back pain, almost, you know, in the, the, the shoulder blade area that just persists and doesn't, you know, and people receive treatment in the area, but actually the problem is lower down. So, yes. So it's important basically to find the source. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Can can you explain a little bit about the pulse? Because as you were talking, it just reminded me that there were times I would sit there and the therapist is, is doing this craniosacral and then they say, I'm just waiting for the pulse to come back. It always used to scare me, like, what is going on? Like, am I dead right now, you know? <laughs> what pulse are you looking for? Absolutely. Again, very good question, Adel. So, so the pulse we're looking for, you know, we're dealing with fluid in a system. So in the middle of the brain, your cerebrospinal fluid is produced in the middle of the brain. It's an area called the choroid plexus. So this fluid is produced there and then pumped around the brain and then moves down the spinal cord. Now, I know when I was at university, I obviously didn't know enough to even think of these questions, but the fact is that this fluid needs to move, and it has its own pulse, which is very, very interesting. And as we, you know, as we develop embryologically, it's a very simple, you know, those little worms. We, you know, when you look on the ultrasounds, we say there's peanut or there's bean or whatever you want to call your little developing embryo. But that little, almost like little worm, is the spinal cord forming, mm -hmm. and that fluid is already present there. So. Um, as we then develop and, you know, develop organs and bones and muscles and all the rest of it, that system becomes more complicated. But you've always got fluid moving through the system. And in fact, even within our nerves, there's a movement. We call it exoplasmic flow. So it's almost like within, in the core of us, we have this pulse and move and, and, um, and you can tune into it, and often patients will actually say, "Oh, I felt that." You know, we're just not aware of it, but it's it's always there. So, cranially, what is the difference between a natural birth and a C-section? Yes. Okay. So, first of all, I've got it. I'm not anti-Caesars at all. They save lives, and in fact, my second child was a Caesar. Um, first child was a was a water birth, and then I had a Caesar. Just to make sure I know exactly what's going on, yes. I always 
<laughs> can, can I ask this? Sorry, we're just yes. about to go for a break, and I know that this bears a lot of discussion. So I just yes. want to pend it before we go on the break. If anybody um, would like to join the conversation, the SMS number is 34519. Our telegram is 061-895-1019. Any questions you have about craniosacral, we are going to get into the actually very, very interesting idea about birth and the trauma that maybe it brings to ourselves and our infants, our babies that we do give birth to and how to actually work through it. We're going to go for a bit of a break and afterwards we'll pick up the conversation again. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Okay, so let's launch into birth trauma. Is there a difference between natural and Caesar? And what problems and what, you know, what, what can we do with the pain that we have afterwards? Charmaine, it's all yours. Right, Adel, what a lovely subject. So, um, as I said before, you know, Caesars save lives. So they are extremely important, but I think that's, that's the whole point is it's there as an intervention when things aren't going well. But the Mm. fact of the matter is that we are designed to be born naturally. And, you know, if you look at the curvature of the spine, it's absolutely amazing. You can actually see how gravity will assist, you know, in the labor because, you know, we actually, we actually designed for that. So, um, very interestingly, um, after the second world war, a lot of, natural births were then brought into the hospital. And the problem with that was that it now became a medical problem, you know. So we had all of those issues involved in that. You need to go to hospital, blah, blah, blah. So um, with a natural birth, the cranial bone, if you look at a little skull, I mean, we all know that you've got your fontanelles and we've got to be so careful with those little heads when they're born and they're quite soft and gentle and the reason is that those little bones are still growing there's a lot of ossification that needs to happen in that skull Um, and there's a lot of cartilage so what happens during a natural birth is the little bones the cranial bones actually slide over each other and get squeezed out and the other important thing in a natural birth is that the baby you go into labor and the nervous system of the baby prepares the baby. In other words, there's adrenaline running through the system. This baby is in fight or flight and this baby is going to get born. It's got its adrenaline and it's going to fight its way out of there. Um, and in that process, the uterus actually squeezes the baby out almost like a, almost like a, um, a face cloth. If you can imagine it, that's how the muscles are designed of the uterus. So, squeezes the baby out and baby comes out obviously depending on presentation which is a whole different story so there are more difficult labors and easier labors and the sacrum of the mom actually moves out and increases that vaginal opening substantially so this is important I'm going to get back to this in a moment so if the mom's in a good position in other words using gravity um that assists in all of that, and the baby can usually move out quite easily without any implementation being used like forceps or, or suction. And if you actually look at that little head, if you do the circumference of the head 
straight after natural birth, it'll be smaller than a few hours later because it's almost like those little bones have to pop out. So there's a there's 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 like a squeezing popping out um, effect, which then kickstarts this whole pumping system beautifully. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is very interesting. And then, of course, which I think doctors are doing very well now, I think it's improved dramatically, believe it or not, is that if the baby then latches, you've got that wonderful suction going on again, you know, with, with, with the breastfeeding. So that is, that is what's meant to happen, you know, in an ideal world. And that fluid is moving. Um, there's a little vo- vo- uh, bone in the skull called the voma that moves up and down and assists you know, in, in that breastfeeding function. Um, so now what happens with a, if they use instruments, for example? So sometimes they have to use, and especially if the mom is lying on her back, that sacrum cannot move and the actual area is decreased. So then, and in the old, when I say old days, when, when I think when the three of us were born, <laughs> this was actually <laughs> common, believe it or not. There was more instrumentation used then um, because of the position of the mom. So often we were, I have patients say, no, I was definitely a natural birth. But when I look and do my assessment, I can see you were a natural birth, but a, a forceps was used here or um, suction. Now, you can imagine you've got these bones and it's not a solid head. You've got to remember that these bones can move and there's a lot of mm-hmm. give to this little skull. It's almost like a soft nachi, or you know what I mean? It, it's soft. So if you then clamp in that little head, and look, you need, please, again, you need to save the baby. There's no judgment here. But the fact is, if you clamp in the head or sucking um, the baby out, there's going to be an effect on that nervous system, which is really important. And often those babies battle to latch. So that's also interesting. Um, You also mentioned about the one side of the head. So, for instance, if really there was um, a suction or a, you know, a forcep used on the one side of the head, really it would kind of manifest on the other side of the head. In other words, like, you know, there's speech on a a certain angle. You know, if my son was suctioned on the one side and I needed to kind of move his skull around to help him either with a behavioral issue or a speech issue, you know, obviously these things have an effect. Absolutely, Faggy. Absolutely. And, um, yes, totally, totally. Because we know, um, you know, often, um, because of the pathways of the brain, what happens on the right can affect the left. Totally, totally. Um, and then just to get back to the Caesar birth. So people will say, yes, but, um, you know, isn't a Caesar birth safer? Well, it's interesting that they've moved the elective Caesar, um, you know, the, the, the elective Caesar, time from 38 to 39 weeks and I think a lot of pediatricians would prefer to even be 40 weeks because you know that time spent in utero is so important especially for the lungs now the thing about an elective caesar is that the baby has not you know is happily doing its thing in this beautiful warm little little enclosure happy safe everything's fine and suddenly Boom. You know, bright lights, noise, and and <laughs> and there's no gentle squeezing. There's no preparation for that baby. There's no adrenaline in the system. 
And those babies are often born in a lot of shock. It's almost like that whole little body is decompressed, you know, like getting the bends if you, if you were a diver. Um, so that's very interesting. So, and, and also because they haven't had that compression of the skull, they often battle with, um, sinusitis issues, um, you know, and, and we do know now that, that moving through the vaginal canal, the baby picks up a lot of bacteria from the mom, which helps with the immune system. So that also doesn't happen. So, yes. So let me just ask you something then. Um, just are, are you able, whether you're bringing a child to you or an adult, um, say like, oh, whatever, I went through a traumatic natural birth or I gave, you know, um, I had a Caesar at that time, whatever it was, would you be able to pick that up like 35 years, 45 years, 75 years down the line that I had a, a birth that wasn't optimal and therefore Absolutely. just disrupted things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. And, you know, sorry? Sorry, and, and you can correct that. Not yes. only can you correct that, but the question is, when do you correct that? At what stage do you bring a baby to correct that? Yes. So, um, you know, it's, it's the most wonderful thing when I get to treat the pregnant moms because then I always say to them, you know, let's just have a look at your baby. If everything's fine, fabulous. If there's a tiny little, um, little lesion that we can just correct, you know, one treatment. Um, so ideally I'd often say a week after the birth, you know, just let things settle and we can have a look. Um, and, you know, specifically if there are issues with latching, that's quite important. You know, let's see those babies as soon as possible. Um, but, you know, any kind of traumatic birth where there's been an um, implementation, seizures, I always recommend. Let's just have a look, just check out. You know, you could have a seizure and then breastfeed immediately, get everything moving, and everything's fine. You know, it, it's not to say there's going to be problems, but... Um, just, just a good idea, just to, just to check. So, what, soon what as problems, what problems would you, would you see particularly in a baby? So, you, you've gone through the Caesar or you've gone through the natural birth, whichever way, you know, um, your child uh, merits it to be born. What would you look for and say, oh no, maybe I need to, you know, nip it in the bud and come, come and see a person like you? Yes. So, so definitely, you know, the thing that normally brings moms is when the babies are just fussing all the time, you know, they battle to, they battle to settle, um, um, a lot of crying, obviously crying is completely normal and that's the way the baby communicates. So crying per se is never a problem. Um, and also crying helps to release, you know, um, maybe a bit of adrenaline that wasn't released during the birth process. So definitely niggling, um, and not settling after feeds, battling to latch, that's a really important one. And also moms will often say, you know, my baby favors the right or, or the, the nurse says she's not or he's yes. not his head. So that's a big one because that could be a problem. I think what's underestimated here is also the position of the babies in utero, I've realized. You know, but that's, that's a whole area we need to do a lot more research in. But I do think, you know, for example, with twins or, or multiple births, you know, that position in utero and the way they grow can also affect things. Um, so what else? Let me think. There's well, so I much. could tell you a little story. Um, I'm, I'm a Caesar mom, 
of six six seasons. So <laughs> I, 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 I hear what you're saying, and you're right. I mean, obviously, you know, um, I'm a season mom from long, long time ago, and in those days, you know, who ever heard of craniosacral? But I even know with my grandchildren, we uh, we had one particular fussy one. I'm not mm. going to name and shame her on radio, but <laughs> she would only feed on like one side and only settle if we put her like, I can't remember if it was the right side or the left side, and after like two, three days battling with her, we actually yeah. realized that she needed her right cheek, you know, touching the pillow all the time, and then if you touch the pillow with the right cheek, then she had to go and lie on the mom on the left breast where her right cheek was touching the mom's skin, otherwise she wouldn't feed. It was like the most crazy thing, but now as you're talking, like all of this is coming back, and I'm going, okay. <laughs> And it's never too late, Adol. She can still go to Charmaine. Okay. <laughs> can, can. Anyone else? <laughs> She's up right now in a, a young, beautiful book. But it, 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 it does make a lot of sense. In a, in, in a way, all the things that you're describing is, is, is asking for us to be pretty intuitive and mm-hmm. to watch, you know, what is going on. I know there's a lot of talk about uh, particularly Caesar babies going for some chi- chiropractic adjustments also afterwards because they arch their back and then you land up with all the reflux and, you know, the inability again to latch because of the, because they didn't go through the natural birth. Totally. So, so that's a very, so, the, so my colleagues, the chiropractors treat that extremely well. Um, and that's because, you know, if you think again, you know, the twisting of the uterus and that, that passage, you know, that they take to come out kind of unwinds the spine again. Can you imagine they get twisted out and any of those kinks and 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 things that are happening there kind of can be released. And now again with the Caesar, there's none of that. You know, there's none yes. of that releasing that happens. So often those children do arch quite a bit. And then you can imagine, you know, um we all put them in babies in these little snug and safes in the car seats and they are wonderful. But you can't keep your baby in there. You know, we have to do, as we know, tummy time is so important and, and we need to release that. So the chiros, and they do it extremely well, release the thoracic spine. Um, and they just release because a lot of tension can be held in the spine, which then affects your, your nerves that exit there and then go to the digestive area. So, Yes, and I mean, physios also treat that, and obviously cranially we can treat that. So, um, you know, so, so cranially we, we treat, treat that as well as everything else I've mentioned. So let's, yeah. let's talk about the moms now, because hey, mm. we also go through a traumatic time. So what happens to us naturally and with Caesar? Yeah, oh goodness, Adel, yeah. So the mom. <laughs> So, <laughs> desperately need treatment. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, um, yes, you know, so, so with a natural birth, obviously, you know, labors aren't always, um, equally easy and, and we can do a lot just to ease that area. And if you've had an epidural, of course, there's always a chance because that needle obviously goes into that very sensitive area and there's always a chance that you could have a bit of scar tissue. So, I often find um, people many, many years later, when I have a look and work up the spinal cord, and you say, have you had an epidural or a, spi- or a, um, a lumbar puncture? They're like, oh, yes, I've had however many. And you can actually feel that, that resistance in that mm. area. Can you imagine what that's going to do for unexplained back pain or chronic back yeah. pain? 
you know, because the muscles are going to respond to that resistance. And another thing, Adel, with, with this, um, the seizures, um, I always say to my patients, it's like putting on, you know, if you've had seizures, every time they cut into that area, which is very rich in fascia, because we want to wear bikinis and things afterwards, so it's usually right at the, you know, at the bottom there. But every time you have a seizure, it, it just tightens up that area, and it's like putting on a um, blazer or a jacket that's two sizes too too small and doing up the buttons and thinking, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be able to move beautifully. There's going to be a lot of knock-on effects, you know, in that seizure, you know, that, that, that actual incision is going to affect that entire area. So can craniosacral kind of release that? Yes, absolutely. Um, there's another... Another discipline that's called Burrell mobilization that's um, very closely affiliated to crania but is a standalone treatment and that mobilizes scar tissue for any any surgery in fact um, and that works more on the fascia which is another interesting topic and releases that so it doesn't have to be perfect we've just got to have we've got to have more give in the system you know all this work is about increasing flow, um, you know, almost like you're stretching, like a nice stretch when you wake up in the morning, getting that movement going. Is it something that you, you, you continue doing like all the time, like once, like so I've had six seasons, do I always have to keep on going and, and, and putting it back in place or there can come a point in time where you've released it enough that uh, I've gone back to, to normal, like I don't need the, 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 you know, the therapy anymore? Yes. Adel, absolutely, absolutely, um, definitely. You know, so, so it doesn't have to be perfect because it's a little bit like taking a piece of paper, scrunching it up, and mm. expecting it to be pristine again. No, but you can you can flatten it out to the point where actually it's fine. If there are a few crinkles in the system, it's actually okay. So, yes, yeah, so there'll be a point where you feel. I'm fine, thank you. I'll let you know when I need you again. You know, because life happens. Of course, there's always. You know, we're always healing. We're never completely yes. healed. Um, but sorry, just to just to get back, if you don't mind, to the Caesar moms. So mm-hmm. with the Caesar, you know, it's so interesting that um, we, on a cognitive level, completely understand we need a Caesar for whatever reason, um, and it's all good, and da-da-da-da-da. But the body, on a deep brainstem level, doesn't quite get a Caesar, you know, doesn't get any surgery, to be honest with you. Any kind of surgery is is actually invasive and a violation. So there's often a lot of um, uh, cellular memory and trauma related to that Caesar. So, you know, always a good idea just to, um, you know, to treat the mom, to balance that nervous system. You know, we wouldn't work on the actual Caesar area We'll give that at least six weeks to settle and then gently start giving that scar tissue a little bit more give. Excellent. It's just a fascinating conversation and we'd love you to join 34519 if you have any questions or 061-895-1019. Have you had craniosacral or would you like to ask any questions about it? This is the time that you can. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. And then I'm going to be asking a very interesting but different question and perhaps different adaptation to craniosacral therapy. 
This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Peggy Stern. Welcome back. We're speaking to Shalmaine Barr, who is a physiotherapist and a craniosacral um, uh, therapist as well. And we were discussing before the break the trauma around birth. What I think would be interesting and very, very topical now, Shalmaine, is to discuss the COVID-19 and how cranio can help us there, not necessarily in uh, helping the virus per se, maybe you're going to correct me, but in the post-COVID-19 symptoms, what we're seeing is that there's a, a tremendous amount of emotion, amount of trauma, fear, um, anxiety um, that is connected to this virus, not only the actual, you know, physical, medical manifestations of it. You know, what can and uh, can craniosacral, and if yes, what can be done to help alleviate the, the, the whole trauma that comes along with us, us catching it and our bodies being, you know, um, invaded by this virus. Yes, Adel, um, sure, so topical. You know, um, what I've noticed in my chronic pain patients is whether or not they they became infected, the, just the lockdown has caused um, a lot of issues, So, which was completely necessary, you know, that, that, that it, it was just such a necessary thing to happen. But it's so fascinating to observe because I think this is the first time on such a whole scale, you know, the whole world basically went into lockdown. And um, the effect it's had on people's nervous systems is just amazing because, you know, before lockdown, if we were in what we call a chronic alarmed state where there's too much adrenaline in the body, you need to use up that adrenaline. These are the people that are constantly on the go and um, – you know, and you can run and you can move and you can go all over the place and use it up. Um, and what lockdown did to us was it literally stopped us in our tracks. We had nowhere to go physically. We couldn't move. And I think people have been confronted with a lot of things that they were running away from, you know. So, and then we had fear. You know, you'd, I think we were all glued to our TVs all the time. I know I certainly was. Um, and the interesting thing with that is that um, I, know, I remember a colleague of mine saying, I want to read all these books and I can't concentrate for two minutes. And that's what, you know, chronic stress and fear does. Um, it actually it actually affects the way our frontal area in the brain works. You know, that area that deals with concentration and our ability to switch between um, different topics. And we were all to a greater or lesser extent, quite traumatized, you know. So and we know that fear affects the immune system as well. So, um, you know, and then sadly, some of us contracted and might still contract COVID. So, um, you know, so so, the, so where would cranio come in? I think firstly, we don't completely understand the, the um, uh, how can I say, the knock-on effects of this virus because we've come to realize that it's not purely a respiratory virus. So people, a lot of, a lot of people will say that they've still got the headache. You know, they, yes, they, yes. I'm sure you've both heard of that, you know, this chronic mm. headache. Um, we know in Italy where sadly a lot of these patients were put on the ventilators. Um, I say sadly, you know, if you need a ventilator, you need a ventilator, but there was quite a lot of what we call barotrauma where air is forced into 
the lungs and there's trauma to that lung tissue. So um, we could definitely play a role there. You know, if that shortness of breath persists, um, cranio, believe it or not, would have a role to play there because we're moving fluid and then the barrel mobilization would have a big role to play in the pleura and the actual fibrotic or the fibrosis that could have been formed. As I say, this is, um, you know, we're not 100% sure yet. You know, our, our knowledge is increasing daily. Um, but definitely um, the headaches, um, you know, your breathing exercises, most of us don't actually breathe properly. You know, the exhaustion and the exhaustion. Absolutely, absolutely. So that extreme exhaustion, look, um, my feeling is that had a lot to do, the shortness of breath, extreme exhaustion, with that um, gaseous exchange on because this virus affects that gaseous exchange, you know, in the lungs. So when you don't have enough oxygen, it's a problem. You know, you're going to be tired. You can't go and run a marathon if you literally don't have enough oxygen in your body. So, um, and I'd say, you know, Ordinary physio and that has a big role to play with that as well. But cranially, huge, huge. I think we don't well, even have an idea of what we sorry, need to do. But there's a connection also with, with, with the taste and the smell that it just affects the sensory parts of the brain. Is it, could there be that, that connection or am I taking it too far? No, Adel, I think so. I think so. And I'd be out of line if I said to you definitely. But I find that fascinating because, you know, they, they reckon that the first sign is your loss of taste and loss of smell before, you know, so, so I find it very, very interesting. So it's obviously affecting those areas in the brain, you know, so this virus is, is interesting on many levels. So, um, so yes, so, so cranially, you know, by moving those, by moving the fluid and by being able to, to, um, to palpate and feel areas where there's not enough, where that cerebrospinal fluid is not bathing the brain or where there might be um, scarring or what we call lesions, not as in tumors or anything, but just lesions where the tissue is almost compressed. It's a little bit like, you know, if you take a bath sponge and you put a, I don't know, something heavy on it for years or months and you take that away, that sponge doesn't just bounce back, does it? Mm -hmm. You still have that imprint in there. What I found so fascinating with the cranio is that it really can help the organs. Like, I mean, I know that you've had patients, people that have, that have come to you have said, well, she moved my liver, and she said that it was like in the wrong position. So I'm sure with COVID as well, you can kind of subtly help with the, with the lungs, etc. Yes, yes. And Faggy, that's, that's a very important point. You know, we, we tend to ignore the organs when I say ignore. They kind of, you know, in a, in a, um, in, um, our, my world, it's, they're there and we just carry on and we treat the spine and the muscles. But what cranio does is it sees the body as a complete whole. And you can imagine any impact. You know, the liver is our second heaviest organ. The heaviest organ is the skin. And can you imagine and any impact? And I'm talking about, goodness, falls, car accidents is the most common thing, you know. What happens to that liver? Do you think it just automatically moves back? Or is there a possibility that it maybe doesn't shift back 100%? You know? Yes. And um, then, then all the other neural pathways are, are, are disrupted because uh, your, your, your liver is like 50 degrees in the wrong place. 
absolutely. And, and very interesting. The liver can't function at its optimum either. Oh, no. And those people often say, I've had all the tests. My liver's fine. And yet, you know, there's always that. And yet, it's not fine. Mm. So, so on a physical or rather musculoskeletal level, that liver that's not in the right position can definitely, and, and, and one sees it a lot, especially in sports people, affects the right arm. It's very interesting, that unexplained right arm pain. Because you've now got a compensation, remember, everything's connected. Everything's connected um, via the nervous system and the fascia. And um, and then you, um, uh, goodness, whatever. Yes, so you, so you get that. And then, as you said, Faggy, the liver's just not quite, it's sluggish. It doesn't quite, um, we call it motility. Um, so it's functioning fine. There's nothing wrong with the actual liver. But you can imagine if you're pulling something a little bit like a hose pipe, if you're pulling that hose pipe around the corner, it affects the it affects the, the water coming out at the other end. And that's a very 100%. easy description of, of what happens. A fascinating, fascinating discussion. If you would still like, uh, we've got a little bit of time left to make a comment or ask a question. It's 34519. Our telegram is 061 6951019. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. What's the saying when, uh, when you're having fun, time flies and we're really, we could probably spend many, many more hours speaking to you, Charmaine. We don't have too much time, but let's just quickly have a discussion about pain perception and then perhaps we will, we will, um, share your, your contact details for anybody who would like to explore craniosacral symbol. So what, what is it about pain perception? Yes. Um, and also pain itself is, is, is extremely interesting. So, um, you know, our perceptions are so different. You know, we have pain scales, but my idea of a five out of 10 pain, um, would be very different to yours. So the important thing to remember about pain, and this is where chronic pain gets really, really tricky, is that pain is output. Our brain decides to give, decides how much pain to give us. Because pain is a behavior modifier. This is really important. So pain is there to tell us something is wrong. And what we normally want to do is it must just go away. I'm the same. You know, I don't have time for this pain. It needs to go. But we need to realize that it's there for a reason. And I always say to my patients, pain is the alarm. It's not the intruder. You know, you need to see what is, what is the intruder. So, Chronic pain is interesting because there doesn't seem to be a reason for it, you know, and this is why a lot of patients in chronic pain go from pillar to post, you know, and they get put on this medication and that medication and they become quite despondent because the pain is real, but because there's no explanation for it, they just, you know, eventually they start to think, am I imagining it? So with craniosacral therapy, we we balance the, the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, and specifically emotional pain. We know that, that, so the pain perception areas in the amygdala, which is in the limbic or emotional area of the brain. This is very important. So pain is an emotion. How hectic mm-hmm. is that? <laughs> That's quite something to get your mind around, you know? So I always say, even, you know, then people say, can't be output. If I stand on a thorn, that's input. The thorn yeah. has caused my pain. Yes, 
correct, but the brain decides how much pain to give you. Right, right. Interesting, yeah. Very, and, very interesting. And as I said, we could we, we could talk forever. As always, I know that Fabian and I will probably now have another 10-hour conversation afterwards <laughs> on, 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 on everything you've shared. And time has really, really flown. And, uh, yeah, we have to bring it to an end. Charmaine, if people would like to get hold of you, how can they? Okay, I'm going to give you my cell phone number, but I'd ask people please not to phone me, rather to message me. You know, it's just easier, and then I can... If I'm not able to help them, I'm also going to give you a, a, a site. So my number is 082-802-2557. Uh, okay, so it's 082-802-2550. And if uh, and you cannot help because you're just inundated with all the calls you're getting, where else can they find uh, somebody that can help them in this field? In this field. Okay, so another site to go on to is www.cranial, as in C-R-A-N-I-A-L, dot org, O-R-G, dot Z-A. Yeah. Um, and they can also go on to the Upledger, which is U-P-L-E-D-G-E-R. Um, let me just have a quick look there. They can also go on to that site and, yeah, sorry, so it's Upledger and then Institute, I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E dot C-O dot Z-A. The Upledger up Institute. Upled, Upledger Institute dot C-O dot Z-A. Um, and, but I'm very, very happy to help anybody and steer them in the right direction. Charmaine, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate giving of your time and uh, really informing us much more about the, you know, these type of ther therapies. As always, we, we, we run this program because we want to bring to people's attention that your health is much more than just taking a tablet or having an x-ray, even though they do have their place. Uh, looking after yourself, you know, is a, is a complex idea and one needs to be intuitive about what the body is saying and what the body needs and should, and there's no question in my mind that yourself personally and as a, you know, as a, a modality, um, this type of work really, really helps in, in healing people. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure and I think you two are doing wonderful work. Thank you. Thank you. And thank, thank you again, Charmaine. Stay warm. Thank you, Adel. Thank you. We'll be back. Same time. Same place next week. Bye -bye. Stay safe. Bye-bye.